0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Uh, we're going to continue in our series through Second Timothy. Grab your Bibles and let's go to Second Timothy together. And uh, if you're if you're needing help, these are when you get towards the end of the New Testament. There's a lot of little books and you might not know where it is. And so, I don't want you to have to pretend that you're actually found your place and you're reading along. Uh, so I want to give you a second. You know if the new testament if you don't know where your bible is and if you don't have those fancy tabs you get through the gospels and then you get through acts and and you get through romans and the first and second corinthians and then you get into something called go eat popcorn right galatians ephesians philippians colossians go eat popcorn and then you then you get into the t's so you get into the first and second thessalonians and then timothys and the titus so that's where it is if you're looking where it is if you get to titus you're too far if you get to hebrews you're even further so, Second Timothy, I hope that helps. Don't ever forget it. Chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, and not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are figilists and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. We finish up chapter 1 in a really great letter, Timothy, that he receives from Paul. Not only is this a great letter, it's also a great place to find, uh, you know, kids' names ideas if you're looking for baby names. And last week we started teaching through Second Timothy, and we got a little glimpse of what it would be like maybe to, to get an inside scoop of, of how pastors might talk to other pastors. We got this uh, kind of this back room conversation of the, of the inside a little bit, the curtain has been pulled a little bit, of what do pastors talk about when they're together, and it's this letter from Paul, the apostle uh, and, and teacher and pastor, and he's facing execution, and, and he's writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, uh, one whom he loves, he calls him a spiritual child a son in the faith. They talk about the struggles of ministry. Paul encourages Timothy in his, in his walk with the Lord and also in the task before him. He challenges him to guard the gospel, to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. And so Timothy is entrusted with the, the gift of proclaiming the gospel and teaching others and planting churches and, and being a faithful minister of God's word. And, and it's here that, that Paul wants to encourage him. He tells him to fan into flame the gift of God, remembering that it's God who gives him peace and mercy and grace and power to, to, and love to, to do what he is called to do in his ministry. And so these next verses, Paul will now get into talking about what's at stake. What's at stake when, uh, when we do not guard the gospel well? What's at stake and what are we called to really guard? For what purpose is this? And so there's really only two outcomes that Paul tells Timothy as it relates to being a pastor. There's only two outcomes for the pastor, and he lists them in verse 8. The two outcomes are these, shame and suffering. Shame or suffering, these are the two options that a pastor has in his ministry. And You thought you were in a dead-end job, right? <laughs> so would you rather, have you ever heard that game, remember you ever played it, maybe in college or high school? Uh, it's a great game, There's, it's a game where you're, you're given proposition of two very undesirable options, and you have to pick one. Would you rather have to eat oatmeal for every single meal for a full year? Or would you rather every time you hear a baby cry, you uncontrollably suck your thumb? <laughs> would you rather, right? So it's, it, that's, what it's kind of, that's what it's kind of like. It's kind of like that. So, so being a pastor of a church and being in ministry is really like just an endless game of, of would you rather. Um, but not here. Not, that's not how I feel. <laughs> so he's telling them, here are the options that you have Timothy, shame or suffering, and choose to suffer. Participate in this suffering. Guard the gospel. Do not give up. Do not fall into the temptation of compromising the truth and what God has entrusted to you. Be a good servant. Be a good pastor. Paul warns that it's possible to be an unfaithful pastor. It's possible to do it unfaithfully and therefore to experience shame in his life. It's possible to exercise his gift of of preaching and proclaiming the gospel in an unfaithful way. So a pastor just merely having the Bible open does not mean that this person is being a faithful proclaimer of the good news. A missionary forsaking all worldly goods and desires and going onto the mission field in Uganda does not mean that this person is being a faithful servant of the Lord. A Christian who reads their Bible and shows up to church and gives faithfully to the church does not mean that they are doing so faithfully. They could be doing so in a way that shames them and Christ and the gospel itself. And so for Timothy, Paul warns how you handle the testimony of Jesus will either bring shame or suffering in your life. And also, how you handle my suffering, my chains, the testimony of Paul, and what people are saying about Paul, how you handle that will also bring shame or suffering. And in both cases, suffering is far better. Suffering is far better than being ashamed. So what is this testimony? Because he doesn't flesh it out there. He doesn't talk about what the testimony of Jesus is here. And it's important to know, well, what are we actually calling to to not be ashamed of? What, What content what message, and it's very important, the word testimony here is so important to, to really realize. The Greek word of testimony is martus, from where we get the noun martyr. It's an active stance for something. It's a, a bold, physical, active participation in a belief that we see martyrs, they, they stood, they guarded their testimony of Christ, and this belief so strongly that it, it got them killed. Paul is saying so much as this, Jesus stood for something, and it was very countercultural, so countercultural that it got him killed. And I am standing for something that it is now getting me killed. And Timothy, you should stand for something to such an extent that it may get you killed. And it will lead to suffering. It's the boldest exercise of conviction, it's the boldest outcome of living out what you believe and what you confess. What did Jesus stand for that got him killed, that got him persecuted and therefore Paul and therefore Timothy and therefore any minister of God's word and therefore any follower of Jesus? What is the testimony that we are called to to guard and to really stand for? Well, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy that we have and and, uh, 2 Timothy is referring to this testimony that he actually fleshes out in 1 Timothy and so I want to bring your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2, you can flip back, it's just a couple pages and he fleshes out this testimony maybe most briefly and concisely in his letters for us to understand in verse 5 2 5 through 7 for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man Jesus Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time for this i was appointed a preacher And an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the testimony of Christ boiled down in in, in a summary of what Jesus stood for and who he was and what Paul is now facing execution for. Well, why is this something that would get you killed? Let me tell you how dangerous, just two verses like that, how dangerous a testimony like that is for, for anybody who wishes to stand for it and to embrace it in light of contemporary and cultural beliefs. Consider this argument and the response from, from just that brief passage. The argument from culture and the response from Scripture. Consider this. Well, there are, there are many deities. There are many different deities, and the people all over the world have a variety of beliefs. And who's to say which is truly right? Testimony of Jesus says there is but one God. Well, yes, okay, there is one God, but there's a, there's a variety of ways of seeing gods, and, and different religions have different names for this God. And so where there is one God, we have many different ways of, of getting to God and knowing God and communing with God. There is only one way to God, one mediator, Jesus Christ. He's the only way to bridge God and man. Well, yes, he's a, Jesus is a—he's a, a maybe—he's a—he's a manifestation. He's a an example, a metaphor, a representation of what true holiness looks like. No, he was a man, the man Jesus Christ, not a metaphor, not a figment, not an example. He actually lived and died and rose from the grave, and he is alive today, as the scriptures attest. But he's such a great example to live by, and maybe that's what humankind can really embrace about Jesus—is that he's a. He was a good example, and imagine the world, if the world would just live like Jesus lived and, and, and follow a sense of morality that he, uh, that he talked about, and that's the point I'm trying to make, is that do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself and live the golden rule as Jesus talked about, but that's not why he came. He came to pay a ransom, as the Bible says. Mankind owed God a debt so great that man could not pay it themselves, and Jesus alone can pay that debt. If we forsake Jesus, then there remains for us no other sacrifice to know God and be loved by God. Well, well maybe that was good for those people 2,000 years ago. In that context, in that history, maybe it was good for the the ancient Near East, but it's 2016, we've learned a lot more about religion, we learned a lot more about God. Times changes and God teaches us in different ways. This testimony was given at a proper time, according to God's timing, and it's the plan for all of creation. There is no plan B. The life of Jesus was meant to be the center point of all creation and all history, and Paul, think about Paul when he's talking about the Bible. What, what scripture do you have? Paul had the Old Testament that didn't utter one single word of the name Jesus. Paul is saying, he's, as he reads the Old Testament, he says, this is God's plan for mankind, not just these men and women in this time, but all people. It's the story of the world. And to forsake Jesus is to give up any hope of forgiveness of our sins and love and acceptance with God. Do you see how this could get you into trouble? Do you see how it has gotten into trouble? Do you see how, how a, a, you have a lot to lose if you choose that testimony? Do you know that that's the message of the Bible? That's what the Bible teaches. And Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony. What testimony? The testimony of Jesus, of who he is, what he came to do, and why it's so important to know him. There are two ways to live according to that testimony, faithfully faithfully or unfaithfully, faithfully, by working out the implications of that testimony, that Jesus came to, to die for us, to pay a ransom for our sins, so that we can know God. He came at a specific time that was the perfect plan of God. His timing was perfect. Working out those implications, guarding it, trusting it, growing in our understanding according to this testimony, or unfaithfully, by yielding to internal pressure, to yielding to external pressure in our culture that says this testimony is not right. This testimony is offensive. This testimony isolates people. This testimony is too exclusive. And so we find a better way where we can embrace some of what the Bible says without losing friends, without being persecuted, without losing our contentment. If you've you've never offended anybody... By your, because of your Christian beliefs, if you've never offended anybody, there's a good chance that you're being shaped more by the culture than by the Bible. Now, the opposite doesn't always mean true. If everybody hates you, it doesn't mean that you're actually a really great Christian. right? <clears throat> and not just this verse and not just this testimony, but all that the Bible speaks, about all the words of Christ, the, the, the words of Christ manifested in Scripture to teach us about God and who He is and what He desires. To disobey scripture is actually to disobey God. And what's the word here for testimony in 1 Timothy? You guessed it. Martus. Jesus gives a bodily exercise of this testimony. How true is this? And Jesus says, watch how true this is. It's a bodily exercise of his conviction for what is right and what is true. And he dies for that testimony. Jesus didn't come to teach philosophy. He came to die. Jesus didn't come to overthrow uh, abusive governments, but to overthrow the power of death and sin itself. Jesus didn't come to, for humanitarian aid, but to forgive sinners, to save sinners who are hopeless and needy. And without Jesus, there is no power over death. There is no hope in this life or the next. This is the testimony. This is a summary of Paul's gospel and the gospel in the scriptures. And for Paul, and now for Timothy, they are to guard this calling to proclaim this good news. This good news in the work and death and life of Christ for our relationship with God that there is hope for sinners, that there is forgiveness for those who have been cut off from God and called enemies of God. And this good news will make you, Timothy, widely unpopular. And it will be for anyone who chooses to hold to it, hold to that testimony. I want to, I want to put their, I want to put their suffering. I want to, I want to describe this suffering and put their suffering, Paul and Timothy, in a kind of a, a context or category, so you know, well, well, what does it really mean to suffer for the gospel? And I think that would be helpful, because I think we can see it in just in one, 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 uh, you know, mu- not multifaceted, but one, one sided. Well, suffering just means to be persecuted and killed and, and to have bodily harm, and, and it is that, but it's much more. And so I want to look at this. What does it mean to suffer, and what, what would it look like to hold to this testimony as a church, as, as a pastor, as leaders, but also as followers of Jesus? If you were to not be ashamed of this testimony, what could it bring into your life? Well, the first category is this, physical discomfort and threat of death. This is the one that's most obvious. He says, I'm already, in verse four to, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. And so Paul is saying, it's, the time has come. There's been a lot of physical discomfort. There's been a lot of threat of death. But now that threat of death is imminent, and it's actually going to happen. I'm being poured out. My time has come. Paul knows he's going to die. He's going to be killed for proclaiming Jesus, and he knows it. But this is not the worst kind of suffering ironically and interestingly, it's not the worst. It's almost as if Paul is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die and people are going to kill me. I'm going to be executed. Yeah, that's fine. That's not the worst pain you can experience. And it's not going to be the worst pain you and I are going to experience because, uh, let's face it, uh, we don't face this kind of persecution. Uh, I, don't think, I don't know if anyone here will die for their faith. And you, you may be in that position where you are called and put into context where we're proclaiming your faith will get you killed. It's, it happens in America. You don't have to be overseas for that to happen. But most of us won't face that. And Paul is saying there's, there's greater pain, actually, than to die. Paul even says in one place, he says, actually, to die would be great. I get to be with Jesus. To die is, to, to die is Christ. I get Christ. And so let's look at a couple other Sufferings that might happen for following Jesus. And these are I think are going to hit a little bit more home to you. One is the loss of a good reputation. In chapter 2, verse 9, that we read, he says, I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. We should not see that as just literal. Yes, he was in chains, he was in prison, but he is talking about what it does to his identity as a metaphor in a sense. He says, I'm bound like a criminal. And Paul wasn't a criminal. He says, I'm being treated like a nobody. I'm being rejected like a horrible person. I'm being treated like the the worst of society. It mentions the reality of his imprisonment, but it's a kind of psychological suffering that Paul is enduring. No one wants to be around me. And I have no freedom in life. I'm literally bound and psychologically suffering because of that. I'm treated like a criminal and I'm not. So there is a sense of what are people going to think of me. There is a suffering that comes with holding to this testimony of people are going to think I'm, I'm crazy, I'm a fool, I'm irrational, I'm, un, I'm unintelligent. That I'm, that I'm just, uh, I'm stuck in the past, that I'm not, a, I'm not a smart person. Let's go on, give more of this feel this multifaceted kind of suffering another is loneliness chapter 1 15 that we read all who are in asia turned away from me all who are in asia turned away from me that's an incredible statement isn't it think about that everyone left what an incredibly lonely sentence everyone left me all at the close of his letter we see how deep the loneliness felt Chapter 4, in verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me soon. Timothy, please come. Come to me. I'm, I'm alone. No one's here. Do your best. Do what you can. Make arrangements to come to me. And in 16, ver, chap, uh, chapter 4, 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Paul is alone. He is lonely. He is without friends. He is without companionship. And this is a kind of suffering that cannot be underestimated. There will be times not only for the pastor and the minister of god 's people but for Christians to be times where you feel deserted, and no one 's standing with you to come to your aid to come to your defense here 's the last one that I want to cover, and that is the fear of failure paul 's whole reason for existence, this whole person, his whole purpose for being born, and we read this last week, his whole purpose for being born and saved is to proclaim the gospel to tell the story of jesus to speak of his testimony and paul tells timothy man there are times when no one is going to listen four, chapter 4 verse 4 they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths chapter 3 verse 7 people will always be learning and never arriving at the truth they will act engaged. They will come on Sunday. They will be, look really forward to... They're, they're going to look so engaged, but they're really just following fantasy football. They're, they're going to... Paul... Think about this. Paul, right? Paul. You say, who's the best pastor who's ever lived? Well, Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. There were people who listened to him and said, that's good. Okay. And then they just left. His whole purpose for living was to have an audience to hear the gospel. And he said, there are, there are times when no one's listening. Fear of failure. Fear of, uh, wow, this is my whole purpose in life, and I'm not doing a good job. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, have, have you ever felt, like, what's my purpose? What, what was, why does God have me here? And just everything I touch is just, is just a mess. These sufferings in the gospel are not only for the pastor, but for all who are called to the gospel and to follow Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.12, later on we're going to read this, actually 2 Timothy 3.12, we'll get to it in a few weeks. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. doesn't mean that everyone who desires to follow Jesus is going to have a threat of life and will be physically damaged, will be beat, will be imprisoned, but he means that all will be persecuted in, in, in different ways, in a variety of ways that include all of these ways that Timothy and Paul are being persecuted discomfort in their life physically, psychologically, people thinking ill of them and and creating rumors about them, having a bad reputation, feeling lonely and feeling like a failure in your life. If you follow Jesus, you will experience that. The suffering that came to Paul and, and would come to Timothy might come to you if you desire to live faithfully according to the gospel of Jesus, according to his testimony. And all of that was the first verse in our section. And we've got a little bit more. Thankfully, all of that in verse 1 is to tell Timothy that there are two outcomes, shame or suffering. And let's reconsider maybe. Let's reconsider. Let, let, let's take a step back and, and let me play devil, devil's advocate, I guess. Thinking of all that suffering that might come to you by knowing, trusting, following Jesus as you ought to. Is shame really worse? So what? I mean, sh- so what? You're, so what? At the end of the day, I mean, you say, Ah, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I let God down. I, I let my friends down. I, I, I didn't live up to my confession. And, oh, oh, man. I mean, is that really worse than all that suffering that I just listed? Loneliness, failure, loss of reputation, maybe even dying. I mean, is, is it really better? Have you, have, you have to think what this is going on in Timothy's head as he's hearing two options, same, shame and suffering, and I see you in prison and you're going to die. You're telling me, okay, this, my time is over. Maybe I kind of want to pick shame over suffering. Paul, please do a little better. Paul, please convince me. I mean, this is your chance, your last time to write a letter to me. Do a good job. Convince me that suffering is better than shame. Okay, Timothy. Next verse. (laughs) That's what he says. Okay, Timothy. Next verse. You're you're suffering for the gospel. What is so great about this gospel we're suffering for? It is here that the gospel speaks to our greatest fears. And this is where Paul goes next. You see this encouragement as he describes the gospel and how it applies to every category of our fears that Paul is suffering in. Verse 9 who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. The gospel speaks to our fear of loneliness in this way, that people leave us and may leave us because of our actions and because of our faithfulness to Jesus, deserved or undeserved, but God accepts us in spite of our actions. Do you see the difference here? People leave us and we are lonely Because of our actions. God accepts us in spite of our actions, in spite of our sin and our failure to pursue him. It is in spite of it. Where others betray us, God accepts us. That is the gospel. God pursues us. He answers our loneliness by pursuing us and seeking us out when we deserve to be left alone. So when we say I'm lonely and it's undeserved, people deserted me and I didn't deserve it, God says to us in the gospel, he says, you deserve actually to be deserted by me, but I'm not going to leave you. Paul says, you know what's so good about the gospel? God answers our deepest fear of loneliness by accepting us, by calling us out of our sin, not because of our works, but because he loves us. Verse 10, "...and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel." The gospel answers our fear of suffering in our body and the fear of the potential for physical death by telling us that death does not get the final word. But I'm afraid to die. They may kill me. Death doesn't get the final word. That's the good news of the gospel, that even though we die yet shall we live. Christ defeated death, and he's alive today, and he promises eternal life for all who are in him. Don't be afraid of dying. What could death do to you when you have Christ? He's saying, good point, good point, okay. The gospel answers my fear of loneliness because God has accepted me. The gospel answers my fear of death and discomfort because God, uh, he, he gets the last word and he's given me life through the power of his resurrection. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. I, I love this one. The gospel is a matter of position and quality and position with God. Paul says, I've been put in tra- chains and I'm treated like a criminal. But do you know who I am? I may be in their eyes a loser, but in God's eyes, I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle, I'm a a teacher. God called me out and gave me a role that can never change. They may think I am nothing, but God has, has given me vital opportunity and a task that is wonderful. I may be nothing in their eyes, I may be a criminal, but in God's eyes I have purpose I have a dignified design. I was appointed. I was placed by God to do this task. What a great honor. Jesus was treated as the ultimate criminal so that those who actually are criminals could be treated as righteous. Us, the cosmic treason against God, disobeying Him and leaving Him and and being ashamed in so many different ways, He was treated as a criminal. We have a fear of, well, what if people think that uh, what, if, what if people ruin my reputation? Jesus says, I know how that feels. I'm the Son of God. I'm the incarnate Word of God, Wisdom of God. I'm the second person of the Trinity. I, the world was created. Nothing that is, was, uh, has ever come to, into existence but through my power. And they're killing me on the cross and treating me like a criminal. You don't think my reputation has been tarnished a little bit? Jesus would say, that's not where your identity is. The gospel answers our fear For a loss of reputation by calling us righteous in Christ. Paul recognizes that. He sees it. He loves it. He's encouraged by it. And lastly, in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The gospel answers our fear of failure by saying the gospel always bears fruit. What you do in the faithfulness for Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do will never, ever, ever be wasted. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed if God called me to preach the gospel and I'm preaching to an audience of zero because I know that it will be guarded. The gospel, the the gift of this ministry Is entrusted to me will be guarded by Jesus until the day Jesus comes back, and he will he will be pleased. He will he will reward me. He will he will say, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful to 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 guard the gospel in your life, even if you got no glory for it, even if no one listened." I mean, what's your most important ingredient as a pastor? I think it's to have it's to have people who will listen to you, people who will follow you. I mean, that's the greatest thing, right? I mean. Oh, you're a pastor, how many people are in your church? That's the first question. Oh, you're a pastor, how many, how many go? The, the number one ingredient is who's listening to you? And our shame and our, our dignity is wrapped up in as that number fluctuates. It goes up, we feel important. If there's more people, it goes down. If no one shows up, and Paul says the gospel always bears fruit. Fear of failure... The gospel bears fruit. Recently woke up on a Sunday, and I asked my wife, like I often do, or she asked, she asked me, as she, as she often does, she says, how do you feel today? How do you feel about your sermon? How do you feel? Are you Are ready? And I remember one morning, I woke up, and I quickly replied, I got nothing. I'm empty. I feel like I have nothing important to say. I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even going, honey. I'm not going. And she said, well, it's a good thing that you're preaching scripture. And I was like... Honey, I'm trying to be grumpy right now. You're not helping. (laughs) Because when you're teaching Scripture, when you're teaching and proclaiming the testimony of Christ and the gospel, Jesus guards it. He makes it useful. He makes it fruitful. He, He takes the feeble attempts to be faithful to God, to proclaim this message, and it never comes back void. I'm secure in Jesus, and there is no... This is what Paul is saying. I am secure in Jesus... And there is no safer place to be than in Christ. He will guard my life and my testimony. He will guard my work. He will guard this gift. He'll guard it. And I'm in the promise of the gospel. And in a a nutshell, the gospel, think about this. In a nutshell, the gospel is the answer to our deepest fears, whatever they are. Some of those fears that were listed that I list, were you surprised that those were things that Timothy and Paul struggled with? What if I fail? What if no one listens? I'm all alone. You felt lonely? Paul and Timothy Timothy felt lonely? They felt painfully lonely. Paralyzed their heart. No one is with me. They were going to die, and that wasn't the worst thing. They had a horrible reputation. They, if you look at history of ancient Near East history and read stuff about how the contemporary people talked about Christians, you would, you, you would say, well, I wouldn't have been a Christian then. Christians were criminals, they were scum, they were deviants, they were uneducated, they were stupid people. And, and, and if Paul is saying, Timothy, guard the gospel, endure it. Even if you are treated as a criminal, remember that Jesus was treated as a criminal so that you could be righteous in Christ. These fears of suffering for the gospel are common for us all. And it is tempting to ease those fears by compromising the gospel, and people do it all the time. I don't want to be uncomfortable, so let's make sure I don't sacrifice too much. I don't want to be lonely, so let's make sure I don't say anything that could offend somebody. I don't want to be ignored, so I'll put a lot of emphasis on, on lights and, and, and a flashy clothes and, and, and an eloquent speech so that people want to listen to me. So what can we do as a church to make sure we get more listeners and more followers and more people here? Well, the gospel, if you really proclaim it, it might push people away, so that's not a good church growth model. Don't be faithful to Scripture. Do everything else. But throw, talk about Jesus a lot, and people will think you're talking about the gospel. We will do almost anything to avoid suffering. Isn't that right? How, think about this question. How much of your, your attitudes, uh, your goals in life, your career aspirations, your, your daily decisions, how much of all of those things are motivated by simply protecting yourself from a fear of suffering, suffering, loneliness, loss of reputation, or failure. Probably everything or most. Instead, Paul says in verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. You're going to be tempted to follow the pattern of those things, the pattern of protecting yourself from suffering, but follow the pattern of the word. Follow the pattern of the things I've taught you not just in the testimony of Christ, but how the testimony of Christ is worked out in ministry and in life and in conduct and speech in aspirations and dreams and goals. And guard it well, Timothy, and don't be afraid. Because what does he say as we closed in our last passage last week? He said, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If Paul were to write this today, maybe... He might say something like this, if you want to be happy as a Christian, or as a person, if you want to be happy in your life and avoid suffering, don't be a Christian, sell ice cream. Maybe that's what he would say. If you, don't want, if you want to be happy, if you want everyone to love you, then do something else. Don't follow Jesus. For the gospel, for the gospel, follow the gospel, he says to Timothy, follow the gospel Put your name there. Follow the gospel. The world will change and will tell you to be formed to its modern ethic. The world will say, We don't really believe that anymore. The world will say, We've decided what is good now. We're changing what is right. We're changing what is good. And you'll be tempted to say, Well, if that's where everyone's going, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be called names. I don't want to lose my reputation. What will people think of me? I don't want to be in threat of, of my life or my comfort or my social status. I don't want to be ostracized from, from community. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to fail. So maybe I should do that. Yeah, what, what, what should we do? What, what should the world tell us to do? As a pastor, I want to tell you my, my greatest joy, my greatest joy, It's not growth in numbers. It's not growth in budget. It's not uh, the gift cards that come to our family, yet feel free to keep those coming. Uh, it It is you putting into practice what has been preached to you. It is you following Jesus, especially at times when following Jesus causes a great loss to yourself. Because that actually makes me most joyful is when, when you, being faithful to the gospel that has been preached to you, when you sacrifice much, it actually makes me so joyful because it authenticates. It's so easy to follow the gospel when it, when it blesses you, right? If you stand up for your faith, good things are going to happen to you. Well, sweet. I'll stand up for my faith any day. If you stand up for your faith, you will suffer You see, when we actually stand up for our faith and proclaim the gospel and and, and live out the testimony of Christ in our life and find new ways that we can do that to guard the gospel and it brings us suffering and we decide to keep doing it, that authenticates your confession it shows that the power of God is working in your life and you weren't just doing it because it was a fad. It wasn't, you weren't doing it as a consumer. You weren't doing it with one foot in the door saying, okay, God, I'll give you a chance. It means that you're trusting Jesus and that means that God is working in your life and his spirit is transforming you. And for a pastor, there's nothing more exciting. And I get to sit back and I say, well, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe people are actually bringing harm to their life for their faith. Go at it, Jesus. Keep doing it. Keep changing them. That's what makes me most excited. And there's something completely unique about the gospel. There's something completely unique about the testimony of Christ. It is very different than having, it's, having the gospel is very different than say having a Lexus, having a, a vacation home, having a, a new pair of designer jeans. It's different. We don't. We do not have the gospel for how it benefits us. To guard the gospel. When we have the gospel, we have it so that we can serve it. So that we can submit to it. So we can give our lives for it. When we really believe the gospel. We don't have the gospel to use it for our benefit. We have have it to give our life to it. And we do this with the confidence that we are being guarded by God forever. Until Christ returns and we are fully satisfied. And he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy, enter in. All that has been promised to you is yours. So in light of this, Timothy is told to follow the pattern of the word, of sound words that he's spoken to him and in a manner of faith and love provided by Christ. And so he's saying, I want you to follow the pattern of the word. I want you to follow the teaching of the word and the practice of the word. And I also want you to follow it in a manner that is that is reminiscent of the love and, and, and humility and conduct of Jesus, how he did it. So it, it's, it's possible to be right in your doctrine and yet still be very wrong when we are lacking compassion, when we are lacking love. This is, great, this is a great verse when he says to follow the pattern of sound words. It shows us that a life of faith is not merely a change of mind, but it is a practice. There's a form, a form to it. There's a, a a practice of it. He says, Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words. He expresses this form in, in great example in his own life. He's saying, Do what I've, do what I've done, and, and in the manner and how I have done it. And look at Jesus, and as he was accused, and he was led to slaughter like a like a lamb. He never opened his mouth, he never accused, he never fought for his reputation. But he submitted his life to God the Father, and it led him to his death. Do this, follow this teaching, and and live out this. So being a Christian is not just changing your mind about what you believe. Okay, yeah, you know, I, I used to live in sin, and these things were bad, and so now I believe in Jesus. Being a Christian is following a pattern, a pattern that is conformed to the gospel and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, let me talk about another side of this, because I've been talking a lot about, about what it looks like to, to pursue uh, faithfulness that leads to suffering rather than uh, unfaithfulness that leads to shame. Now, let me, let me imagine that you uh, are already in that other side where you are already ashamed. I mean, you're saying, this is all great, but I've already been unfaithful in so many ways. I've been unfaithful to the testimony of Christ. I've been unfaithful to this manner of living and and. and and uh, guarding of the gospel that's been spoken and preached to me i'm already a mess and and i've already too far gone you've compromised and you failed at guarding the gospel and now you live in shame and maybe it's here that you see the meaning of the gospel most clearly in paul's instruction to timothy where he greets him and he says he greets him he says i greet you with grace and mercy and peace from god the father and christ jesus our lord It's possible that as he's writing to Timothy, he's already writing to Timothy, encouraging him to be a faithful minister, but already recognizing that Timothy has maybe some shame in his life, and he needs to hear his pastor tell him, Timothy, you need to remember that God is gracious, merciful, and peace comes from him. Not from you being a great pastor, it comes from Christ our Lord. Are you in that camp where you're already feeling, I've already compromised so much then be encouraged of the gospel. It's not just doing more and being better and having greater character. It's in the grace of God. It's in the mercy of God. It's in the peace of God that passes understanding that has been given to us. That's the greatness of the gospel. And we get to this. We make this change through repentance. We make this change as we recognize our unfaithfulness, our lack of faithfulness to the gospel, and we say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. I need you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for Jesus. And in that repentance, as we turn from our sin and turn to Christ by faith, we are not in probation. We are not having to go through this series of of probation where God says, okay, but I'm going to watch you a little closer because you haven't been good in the past. He welcomes us in. We're renewed in the joy of our salvation. We're renewed in the peace of God. We're energized, we're empowered by His Spirit to be faithful, to guard it. Paul is showing Timothy, as he tells him, to practice this, to be in a pattern, to to be transformed and conformed to the pattern of His sound words. And following that, he's he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you never get beyond the gospel. Uh, You never get beyond the gospel to a more advanced Christian life. The gospel is not a, a step in becoming a Christian, but rather like the hub of a wheel that by everything in our life is transformed by the gospel. Where all things are connected to the gospel and informed by the gospel, and we're learning and growing in all things because of the gospel. The gospel is not just, as Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller says, not just the ABCs, but the A to Zs of the Christian life. The gospel is not just the minimum requirement for becoming a Christian, but it is the way that we grow in our faith. The gospel is how we are made right with God. The gospel is how we grow into maturity. The gospel is the solution to each problem, the key to every closed door, the power to every obstacle, the comfort for every sorrow. To guard the gospel then for us means, and it's often the biggest mistake for many Christians today, it means to use the gospel in all of its parts, in all areas of our life, through continual application And practice. You never get to a place, we should know this, Timothy's learning this, you never get to a place where the gospel is elementary. A failure that Christians can make and the church can make is thinking that the the gospel is only preached to non-Christians. And then when they become a Christian and they trust in Jesus, it's like, okay, well then now go do a good job. Be a good Christian. The gospel is preached for our salvation, it's preached for our growth, it's preached at every step of the way for our maturity in Christ. Paul says, I'm at the end of my life, and I'm not done living out the gospel. I need it every single moment. Paul is saying this, the champion of, our, of, 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 of the Christian faith in the early church. He says, I'm still learning. I still need the gospel every moment. Follow my example. You never get beyond it. If God can bring Jesus back from the dead after being dead for three days, imagine what his power can do in a church, what his power can do in your life, when they're where the gospel is faithfully lived out amazing what can god do what, what is beyond god's ability in your life well you raised he raised jesus from the dead this is the power of god and that same power resides and lives in you imagine the power that could be manifested in your life when you guard the gospel with all of your might all of your strength all of your heart and soul Imagine what it could do for your joy and your marriage and your family and your neighborhood when you guard the gospel. Paul says in verse 12, "This is why I suffer as I do because of what it means to stand in this and guard this gospel because of because the gospel is so good. Suffering is better than shame because the gospel is so good. It is life. It is the promise of life. So don't be like Phygellus and Hermogenes. Okay? Who abandoned, who was who were ashamed by the testimony of Christ and of Paul and said, This whole Christian thing is getting way out of hand. This isn't what I signed up for, it's too hard. Be like onisiphorus Alright? Be like him who stood by Paul at great threat and lost to himself. Don't even have names like these people, but be like him who stood with them. Power of God enables us to do this. Let's do it together. Let's pray.